right to be forgotten, one of my favorite whipping boys, has really jumped the shark. I gotta say, I, this is just astonishing. You get on a yacht across the Atlantic and you shoot two people and you get convicted of murder. You go to jail, you serve 20 years, and you have the gall to come out and say, now I have a right to be forgotten. I want my murder suppressed. And the German courts, God bless them, say yes. I, 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 uh, is there any justification for this under a, 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 in a society that actually respects freedom of speech? Well, it, it was a close call, actually, because the lower court said no, saying that the free expression and the, the rights of the free press trumped it. But the, the claim of the guy is that he started a new life. He served his time. The new community he's part of don't want to be exposed to that information about him. It would make his new life that much more difficult. And so he wants to, he wants to keep his criminal history secret. That's how privacy is supposed to work. It's supposed to take information away from people because we fear that they'll make adverse decisions about us based on that information. I, you Precisely. don't want people to know you're a murderer. Don't kill people. This is easy. Episode 290 of the Cyber Law Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Thanks for joining us. We're lawyers talking about technology, security, privacy, and government. And we are counting down, I should say, to our uh, Christmas hiatus, which will come after December 16. So we'll be out for a couple of weeks uh, over the Christmas uh, holiday. And in the meantime, uh, the, I should say, since I'll be hearing from my family over the holiday, the views expressed here do not reflect those of my family uh, uh, or the firm or its clients um, or in particular my spouse. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, today, I'm joined by Brian Egan, uh, who's a partner in our Washington office, formerly with the State Department. Welcome, Brian. Thanks, Stuart. And uh, Mark McCarthy, senior fellow at the Institute for Technology, Law, and Policy at Georgetown. Mark, good to have you here. Glad to be here. And uh, Nick Weaver, uh, uh, senior researcher and lecturer in computer science at UC Berkeley. Nick, good to have you too. Good to be here. Okay, and I'm Stuart Baker, formerly with NSA and DHS, the host and chief provocateur in today's program. Uh, why don't we start with a recent Commerce Department announcement? Uh, this is uh, – we're stumbling toward the great decoupling as we try to f figure out how we're going to decouple from China's economy and where. Um, and this Commerce Department – uh, a proposed rule is an effort to kind of uh, improvise something for that purpose. <laughs> yeah, if we're stumbling toward the great decoupling, a lot is getting ca caught up in the wake of the great decoupling, and this is a good example. So back in May, President Trump issued an executive order that was designed to protect the U.S. telecommunications supply chain from China, essentially, although the executive order did not say China. And the Commerce Rule does not say China itself. Commerce is the agency that is implementing this executive order, and it did so in a draft rule uh, it published last week, uh, which provided, I'd say, very little guidance or insight into how commerce totally, will actually do totally this. Totally opaque, yes. <laughs> uh, so there's so it, it basically <laughs> what we know is they're going to think about it uh, case by case. That's right. That's right. You can't. There's no filing requirement. 
nor there, is there an option for a party to go to Commerce in advance and say, hey, is this deal going to cause uh, concern to the Commerce Department? Uh, there's no mention of China in the draft rule. Commerce says, we'll let you know who the foreign adversaries are when we come to it. Uh, and there are no exclusions from this rule. So any transaction uh, involving the U.S. telecom supply chain is potentially subject to review by commerce. So that's what's weird about this. Uh, and I think they're prisoners of the language of the tools they're using, which are OFAC type and IEPA type. Uh, you know, we'll bar all transactions with this company or this country or what have you and freeze everybody's assets. It's like we're going to war again. Um, and that obviously has an impact on transactions. And then they've been thinking sort of scythiacy. Uh, you know, there there's going to be a company that's going to be bought and will step in and stop it, although Scipius allows them to do that anyway. And I would have thought that if you were going to do this in a thoughtful way, you'd actually say, look, there are – we're going to identify areas where we're very concerned or maybe we're just going to say don't buy – certain kinds of things from certain kinds of suppliers uh, and uh, as opposed to doing it transaction by transaction, which seems nutty. What are they going to go and, and, and tell Intel, by the way, uh, this, this particular invoice uh, or uh, purchase order can't be sent? Mm -hmm. it, it's just weird. Um, but the focus on transaction is all through this document. That's right. Yeah. And I think you're right that they look at this, uh, Commerce probably does, as they are required to take steps to prohibit any transactions that raise national security concerns. Now, they also have the authority to exempt or exclude certain classes of transactions. Right. And they've decided not to do that, although they're taking comments on that part of the rule. Uh, but they're definitely approaching this, as you said, Stuart, from a kind of prohibitive Let's look at everything approach as opposed to let's identify the things that are most likely to give us concern. Maybe it's because it's really hard to identify those and things. And maybe it's because they've, they've been having fights internally about this and this is the only thing they could agree on, which is, uh, yeah, we ought to look at it case by case and let's not change the language of the executive order. Let's keep talking about transactions, even though uh, people who are worried about this probably don't think that's the ideal way to approach it. Yeah, agreed. Okay, so uh, uh, a uh, um, the, the great decoupling is kicked down the road uh, uh, another ninety days or so, uh, maybe more. So, Nick, um, another part of the great decoupling, uh, this a little inadvertent for the U.S. is that uh, the uh, Risk Five Standards Group is thinking about moving from the United States to Switzerland at the request of its Chinese members, uh, or at least that's the implication. How big a deal is this? Uh, it's nowhere near the big deal that um, that Reuters is making. So Risk Five was developed out of Berkeley as a side consequence of computer architecture research. So the they needed a open design for um, computer chips to better enable further research. And they spun it off as a open source, license-free processor design, because all the other main processor designs, there's patents on the ISAs and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And so it's a useful architecture. And what they've just simply done is taken the... Um, foundation which defines the architecture and said, okay, we're moving to Switzerland for purposes of headquartering the foundation. 
And it's largely not to enable China, but just simply to get out of the vagarities of the U.S. that so much of U.S. policy has seemed schizophrenic that if you have a chance to uh, to avoid some of it, you do it. So that's that. The, the idea is once they're in Switzerland, uh, to the extent that the U.S. government is using authorities that only apply to Americans, they won't be able to reach the organization uh, and tell it, throw all your Chinese members out. But there are lots of other problems that will emerge. I mean, I, uh, U.S. companies won't be able to participate in a standards process that includes Chinese companies if the Chinese companies are uh, the subject of sanctions by the U.S. So this may not solve most of the problems that are meant to be solved, uh, but it does mean that at least the Risk Five Foundation is itself not a subject to some of the toughest sanctions rules. And also the thing is, is it's irrelevant, truly told, because the whole point of Risk Five is it's an open standard, and so it's, a, it's going to be published anywhere standard. anyway. Yes, it's already published. It's been yes. published for years. Um, we actually use it in Berkeley. Well, partially because well, it was invented in Berkeley, but we use it for our assembly language teaching because it's cleaner than all the other risks and way nicer than x86. So if we want to teach computer architecture, we use RISC-V and this will have no effect on it. Okay. Well, here's something that might have an effect. Uh, uh, the Justice Department is making um, – uh, their, their antitrust chief, uh, Macon Delrahim, is making noises about um, the anti-competitive possibilities that exist even in markets where you're giving your product away for free. Uh, and I will just remind listeners that uh, we interviewed uh, um, uh, the president of Microsoft, Brad Smith, last week. And when I asked him – why the the personality transplant between the Microsoft of 1992 and the Microsoft of today, he said, uh, beyond doubt, it was the uh, near-death experience of having all those antitrust uh, actions come down on them, even though they didn't, in the end, change their um, policies very much. It was such a sobering experience to realize how much they were hated and how bad that could turn out to be that uh, uh, they really did embrace a, a, a different view of the world. Uh, uh, and so if you want to change Silicon Valley behavior, antitrust appears to be the club you should beat them with. Uh, uh, Mark, how seriously should we take Del Rahim's uh, discussion of uh, free free products? Uh, Stuart, I, I think the Justice Department is is really looking at, at, at something. And, and Del Rahim did say that they're looking at potential abuse of data by the tech companies, that's yes. the handle. And, but as Matt Stoller in the, in the same article said, that's that's heavily coded language. It has really no specific meaning until he actually does something. I mean, it could mean that that uh, Del Rahim thinks that they have a data monopoly, but 
But having a data monopoly isn't itself a problem. It's only if you depends use on that. what the market is, right? You use that in a way that forecloses competitors. Then that could be. But what's he thinking? We don't. We don't really know yet. Why? Why, why should they foreclose competitors when the European Union GDPR will do it by uh, well, for them? There are lots of ways in which competitors can be foreclosed. Regulators don't get hauled in front of the antitrust court, though. But here's an idea. That Actually, you know, they once did. I remember there was once an anti-dumping case where the uh, Commerce Department officials went to okay. Japan to negotiate a settlement. And when they got back, they were questioned by the antitrust authorities. I, 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 that, was a, that was a tougher uh, Justice Department than maybe we have now. And a different world, yes. <laughs> so here's an idea that Hal Singer thinks might have some life. Uh, Facebook has an API. And, and it's it, they use that to allow outsiders to get access to some of their data. It's not quite an open API. They pick and mm -hmm. choose who they would give it to. Um, and apparently a couple of years ago, according to some leaked memos, uh, they, they said, we're not going to give it to people who might be competing with us in an area that we want to go into. Mm -hmm. So is that mm -hmm. actionable? Well, maybe, but the problem is that Facebook competitors have no rights to Facebook data. It's not as though you know, data is an essential facility like a bridge over the river or like the local loop was in the telecom days. When well, we you might, you might argue that it is a natural monopoly. There are only so many ways to collect that data. And once you've done it, uh, um, you've, you're providing the services the data allow you to provide. And it's hard for somebody to break in and collect it. Well, the, the, given the, the state of legal jurisprudence on essential facilities doctrine, I wouldn't want to bring a case like that okay. in front of the Supreme Court. So that's probably not what they're thinking of, so we still don't really know. In any case, um, you know, this is all competition not for a new Facebook, but for people who are providing adjacent services or, or services in, mm -hmm. the, in the neighboring market. If we really want to have competition to Facebook itself, we're probably going to have to pass legislation to do that. And that's why this legislation from Senators Warner and Hawley and Blumenthal is so significant. It's aiming at doing that through techniques like data portability and interoperability. Yeah, it seemed a little weak tea-ish to me mm -hmm. in terms of actually inspiring a lot of competition, but uh, uh, it, maybe it would work and maybe if it doesn't work, they'll come back and try it again. Yeah, how well these things work, who knows, but at least they're aiming at the target of a real alternative to something like Facebook. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, <laughs> the right to be forgotten, one of my favorite whipping boys, has really jumped the shark. I got to say, uh, this is just astonishing. You get on a yacht across the Atlantic and you shoot two people and, and seriously harm a third. You get convicted of murder. You go to jail. You serve 20 years and you have the gall to come out and say, now I have a right to be forgotten. I want my, uh, my murder suppressed. And the German courts, God bless them, say yes. It, I, 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 really, uh, uh, Mark, uh, um, is there any justification for this under a, 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 uh, in a society that actually respects freedom of speech? <laughs> well, it, 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 it was a close call, actually, because the lower court said no, uh, right. saying that the free expression and the, the rights of the free press trumped it. Uh, but but the, the claim of the guy is that he started a new life. Um, he served his time. Uh, the new community he's part of don't want to be exposed to that information about him. It would make his new life that much more difficult. And so he wants to, he wants to keep his criminal history secret. And this is one way to do it. The court bought that. Now, the problem is that these court decisions are going all over the place. And the contours of what the right to be forgotten are going to be determined by these 
kind of arbitrary and idiosyncratic court decisions all over Europe. Um, there, there was a, another one about a year ago from a Dutch court that said a doctor who had been briefly suspended for medical misconduct could have search results suppressed that showed her on a blacklist. She's got a clean bill of health now, so to speak. Uh, but, but but the potential patients who type in her name still see her listed on the on the blacklist. So I, you know, I think so. This so is, the court said no that, that that you can be forgotten for that purpose. This this right. this is the European contempt for ordinary citizens. Uh, uh, they don't think ordinary citizens can arrive at rational decisions by reading stuff, uh, by getting information, and that uh, authority figures can make those decisions for them. That that's what. Uh, uh, is the thread through the German and the Dutch decision is that the the courts we know this this guy we know uh, t- t- take it from us he's rehabilitated he looks all like us now but but that's how privacy is supposed to work it's supposed to take information away from people because we fear that they'll make adverse decisions about us based on that information you can't say here's the information about your medical records please don't conclude anything about him we keep that secret I, I, you, know, if you don't want people to know you're a murderer don't kill people. This is easy. But that, that's why if it's long enough ago and it's been out of the news for a long time, why bring it back? The good news is that the right to be forgotten really applies only in Europe, according to the court decision in September. And the further good news is that it's not likely to come here. Here in the United States, the stringent First Amendment would almost certainly privilege speech over over privacy. Yes, I I, I, I was astonished, uh, and uh, you kind of have to read the, the the German decision to, to appreciate it, where they talk about it. Well, this is all about a matter of self presentation, and that's a, such a fundamental right that you know murderers should be able to self present as what they are now, not what they used to. Oh, it's just sad. Okay, Nick, I I have a, a longstanding interest in uh, um, breaking. T- TLS to inspect it for, uh, uh, which is what enterprises do in order to prevent bad stuff from coming into their network. Uh, and the uh, the NSA put out a warning to people saying you got to be really careful if that's what you're doing. How serious is that as a criticism of uh, breaking and inspecting and then re-encrypting uh, 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 your TLS connection? Um, and why did the NSA care so much? I think the NSA cares just simply because they're trying to recover some of their defensive mission. But really what it comes down to is also a shot about over the bow of the vendors of these systems, because what the NSA is as much complaining about is so many of them are cruddily made. They don't validate certificates. Uh, They act as a general huge point of potential vulnerability in the system. So this is bad antivirus and bad security practice. And I'm sure what they do is they say, well, yeah, you might have broken encryption and inspected it uh, for somebody else, but now we're going to break it against and, and use our special sauce to do it in another inspection. And it kind of, so you end up with two or three or four different places where the encryption is broken. And that's two or three or four places where uh, an intruder can get access to the data. And two or three or four places where the vendor is likely to be an incompetent boob. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, Sad that we're buying our security from uh, incompetent boobs, but that does seem to to be a trend. The thing is, is uh, this is an example of a lemons market. 
it's really hard for those purchasing to know what is good security versus what is snake oil. And there's really no transparency that people have to know which are implemented correctly and which are just implemented poorly. And there's really, there's an enormous tendency, and I have to feel it myself, to say, well, I don't know if that's, you know, I, I'm buying something better than, than what those boobs sold me last time. But maybe what the boobs sold me is do, still doing something, so I'll leave it in place and I'll just drop uh, my new, better product on top of it. But that does result in multiple decryptions, and uh, to the extent that what you left in place is insecure, you've left insecurities in place that you shouldn't. And how do you know the new product is any better? <laughs> okay. All right. That's a that's a hopeful note. Uh, TikTok is struggling. Uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, uh, publicity uh, suggesting that TikTok, which is owned by a Chinese company and uh, one of the few Chinese companies to really succeed in the U.S. market uh, as a social media company, uh, and it's produced a lot of angst in, in the U.S., and one of the bits of angst was that it might uh, start suppressing um, speech that the Chinese government doesn't like. TikTok went out of its way to say, no, 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 we would never do that. We have all these policies. They're all unique to the United States. All of our management is here uh, for that purpose and don't worry. Uh, and then a, uh, a Muslim girl from New Jersey said, uh, I started uh, my makeup uh, a tutorial by saying, let me show you how to get longer lashes. And by the way, you really right now should go look up what's happening in Xinhua uh, to Muslims being put in concentration camps, and she lost her account for a time. Uh, uh, TikTok has now said, oh, that was a mistake. Uh, it made a big fuss, so uh, it's understandable that they would say that. But they, what they said was it was actually two mistakes. She had put up an earlier a video on another account in which she talked about uh, being teased about marrying bin Laden because she's a Muslim and she put a picture of bin Laden up and that was terrorist speech by the standards of uh, TikTok. Uh, so they took down that account and then they barred her phone and she had used the phone for another account that had this uh, uh, Uyghur uh, uh, excerpt uh, and they took that down and then they put it back up. Uh, um, and they said, uh, so really, you know, that was just a mistake. It's all fine. I, it was a mistake. We got caught. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think that's uh, that's very likely uh, uh, the case that uh, uh, there are a lot of ways. And what, what we're seeing at TikTok and really everybody who does social media is a lot of ways in which they want to suppress speech without getting caught. Uh, so they have these standards in which they say, this this will go up and, and the person who posted it can see it, but nobody else will ever see it. Or this will go up and you can find it if you know it's there, but uh, if you search for it, you won't find it. Uh, there's a whole host of quiet uh, you know, uh, sort of shadow bans that can be imposed. And there's been discussion that TikTok has all of those. Uh, and so it'll be a long time before anybody knows for sure whether the stuff they posted has actually been the subject of 
constraints by TikTok or, frankly, YouTube. Uh, uh, and in the meantime, I mean, this couldn't come a worse time for TikTok because they are now suddenly under investigation by CFIUS, uh, a very belated investigation, uh, and struggling to find a way to persuade CFIUS that they should be allowed to stay in business in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It did give the members of CFIUS a good excuse to learn how to lengthen their eyelashes by watching this video, <laughs> which I'm sure they appreciated over Thanksgiving break. There's a lot of people at CFIUS who could use this advice. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the, the owners of TikTok are really going uh, public in a public relations campaign to show they're separate from China. They handle their data separately from China. They've hired a number of U.S. employees. They have separate legal departments. Uh, they're really trying to demonstrate that they can successfully uh, separate themselves from uh, their Chinese affiliate company uh, in a way that could satisfy U.S. national security concerns, which I don't think have been focused so much on data censorship as they have been on uh, data sharing with the Chinese government and surveillance. Uh, but this did come at a really unfortunate time from, for, for that company. Yeah. So we'll, we will see. Uh, and and uh, if their um, mitigation agreement uh, uh, includes an elaborate discussion of things like uh, uh, their policies on when they will make people's uh, leave leave the people's posts up, but but not make them searchable, etc. Uh, then we'll know that uh, the publicity has <laughs> truly educated Scipius. Okay, um, uh, Nick, you're getting all the uh, the, the 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 idiots uh, today. <laughs> uh, uh, Nick's idiot this after uh, in this section is Virgil Griffith, who uh, is an American living in Singapore uh, and an enthusiast for uh, for Bitcoin. Uh, who uh, said to uh, apparently ask the government, uh, can I go to North Korea and teach them how to use uh, cryptocurrency and attend their cryptocurrency uh, conference? And they said no. So he went, of course, uh, and did all those things and is now being prosecuted. Uh, how, does this, uh, how does this happen, Nick, and, and, and how seriously should we treat it? So – He's actually a proponent of Ethereum, which is like Bitcoin, but dumber. <laughs> and the thing is, is the one advantage the cryptocurrencies have is censorship evasion. It's good for evading sanctions and buying drugs. And he actually wanted to go to North Korea to talk about how cool cryptocurrency is for evading sanctions to the North Koreans. Well, it was certainly an audience that would have been at the edge of their seats to find out. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, so his his enthusiasm for this uh, uh, just is um, he thinks he must think U.S. law is stupid or irrelevant or maybe this is, you know, he's the last of the libertarians uh, uh, pushing uh, cryptocurrency. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. And there's a lot of cryptocurrency makes people dumb because they see number go up and they somehow think they're a genius as a result of being lucky because number go up <laughs> because of a speculative bubble. And they try to justify it. And the irony is, is this North Korean cryptocurrency conference was just, come on, dude, North Korea, why? This could raise an interesting issue, and I don't want to defend Mr. Griffith too much here, but he was going to give a speech. And of right. course, as an American, that's what you can do. We just yeah, talked about yeah. the First Amendment right. rights of Americans. He went to give a speech in North Korea, and maybe he'll say, look, 
I can give a speech in North Korea. I can give a speech in Iran. I can, I give, I can give a speech in Singapore and put it on YouTube exactly. and it'll be downloaded. Right. To, uh, to, by so the what was the export or the service that I was allegedly providing? And I think the complaint from the Justice Department is kind of anticipating that and saying, well, you answered these questions about yes. this was tech transfer, et cetera. But in you, a way, you, can see, it, you, you know, can see they're struggling on this. So they, 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 they don't want this to be about whether you can give a speech. They want it to be about whether you can tell people how to do stuff and – um, you know, giving a speech and, and answering questions is sort of right in the middle of that. That's right. Yeah. So he he he's going to have defenses, uh, and this will be a case to watch because it'll shape the outer edge of uh, what can be criminally enforced in sanctions law. That's right. Okay. Good. A better him than me. Um, uh, all right. The Senate Democrats, including uh, the uh, um, ranking Democrat on the Commerce Committee, which has jurisdiction here, have come up with a uh, privacy bill, uh, Consumer Online Privacy Rights Act, I think, uh, uh, the unfortunate uh, uh, copra, uh, you know, for those of us who have dogs and have heard about Coprophagy. Uh, uh, this is not the best. Uh, uh, that's where your dog eats its own poop. Uh, <laughs> it's not not the best acronym to have chosen. We, we can edit that, edit that out. Coprolet fossilized the poop. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's 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 an all-purpose Latin or Greek uh, um, uh, term for uh, for poop. Uh, but this is a pretty serious effort. I have to say, I, to my mind, the fact that the Democrats have released this is an indication we are not going to have a privacy bill or act uh, in this Congress or under this president. I think that conclusion is right. The the Democratic bill was introduced by Senator Maria Cantwell from the mm -hmm. great state of Washington. Uh, and it has a, a number of the standard privacy measures that have been talked about for years and years and years and that are in European law and in the California consumer privacy law. Uh, the right to be informed about what data is being – Yeah, the right to some, delete it, delete uh, it uh, correct it. Some, yeah. some, some opt-in consents yep. for sensitive data and so on. It also has some, some measures from Ron Wyden's bill about um, algorithmic accountability. It requires companies to assess the accuracy, fairness – bias and discrimination of their algorithms in certain contexts when they're used for advertising or for, for housing or uh, education or employment or credit granting and, and the like. But And, and back, back to our antitrust discussion, it also has a, a data portability measure in there designed to give people right. control over their information and being able to move it to another provider. But, but to be honest, the real flashpoint is not going to be on those substantive measures. The real flashpoint is going to be on process and enforcement. The bill does not preempt privacy laws in the state. It has a private right of action too, and it it uh, it gives the, the the people a private right of action. Both of which the, the Republicans are going to be very upset about. In fact, Senator Weicker had released his own version of a legislation which substantively is very similar, but the preempts state law and does not include a private right of action. So, in a in a rational. Congress, a Congress of the sort that we had even 10 years ago, uh, you could probably get this done, although maybe not in an election year, and we are more or less in an election year at this point. Uh, but in this Congress, just no hope of, of bridging that gap, right? There's a deal to be had, and it's a, a measure of the dysfunction of this Congress that they, they can't get there. We'll see what happens at the hearing on Wednesday. 
uh, where they'll be airing all these issues. Julie Brill from the uh, former FTC commissioner now with Microsoft is going to be there. Maureen Oldhausen also with the FTC is going to be there. And Anula O'Connor, former, formerly head of CDT and now with Walmart, uh, will be among the witnesses there. Very cool. Very cool. I, I have to say, I, I think it's bad packaging for them to say that this is a Miranda rights uh, a provision for consumers. I said, you know, I, I, I'm guessing most people don't think that uh, much as they dislike Facebook, they're not actually under arrest when they're on the site. <laughs> uh, what are you guilty of? What are you trying to Exactly. <laughs> you know, Stuart, you mentioned the Congress yep. being uh, not so, you know, uh, effective I would say the White House, you know, plays a role here as well. You know, you could say 10 years ago when two parts they, parties they, were so they close might have together, tried to bring people together. They yes. would bring so people that they together. could run on it. And, exactly. And as, as a uh, bipartisan uh, uh, can-do president. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's not uh, Trump's brand. That is not at all his brand. Right. I don't think anybody can predict what his view would be on this particular bill, uh, which is part of the problem. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's right. Uh, well, I don't know if, if there's anybody who should like uh, 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 to be able to sue for a right to be forgotten, it would be President <laughs> Trump. But uh, uh, this is a story I just can't resist because it's got crop circles and GPF spoofing and pirates and, uh, and China. Uh, uh, Nick, uh, why are there GPS crop circles uh, in the river in Shanghai? We think... It is due to somebody doing a lot of GPS spoofing. And as a consequence, it fools the transponder systems that ships use to broadcast their location so they don't run into each other. And the suspicion is it's to steal sand. So it's not just pirates, it's sand pirates. Ah, that's the best kind. <laughs> um, but it does bring into clear relief, one of the problems with GPS, both in the civilian and military context, is there's no authentication on the signals, Yeah, which means not only is it trivial to jam, just overwhelm, but it is actually quite reasonable to, with some sophistication, spoof. That is, you have several transmitters that are basically acting as fake satellites, overwhelming the real satellites and arranging for all the devices to think they're someplace else. And that might explain why the why the devices are reporting that they're in these circles that they, it sort of kicks them out about uh, a mile or so uh, from where they really are, or two miles. And if if you do it enough, it makes a circle. Yeah, or if you do it randomly enough, you've got sort of a circular displacement going on. From who knows, it might be around the source. And the huh. reason the pirates are – yes, exactly. <laughs> the reason the pirates are doing this is the sand at the bottom of the river is good sand. It's valuable. It's worth you know, uh, 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 nearly $100 a, 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 a barge load. Uh, and the Chinese government has said – We've got a sand problem. You shouldn't be taking sand off the bottom of our uh, river, and so it's illegal to take it. But uh, uh, people can't catch you if they can't use your GPS signal to figure out that you're spending way too much time in one place in the river. Yeah. Very cool. So update on a couple of things. We talked about uh, the rumor that uh, uh, DHS's uh, uh, CISA was getting ready to put out a 
vulnerability disclosure uh, policy and they've done it uh, and it's pretty much what you'd expect. It's kind of the precursor to being able to do bug bounties if you want to uh, walk before you run. Uh, first, you demonstrate that you can actually put the name of a person and an email address on your website and explain what you're interested in hearing from people about and that you promise not to sue them or send them to jail if they tell you about problems on your site. Uh, and then you wait and see if people can actually handle those reports. And if all of that falls in place, then maybe you would say, oh, and by the way, we'll give you $25,000 every time you find a good uh, vulnerability that we do fix. Uh, um, so that's uh, that's out. It's out for comment. Uh, they're using GitHub for comment. Uh, Nick, uh, um, is that just a kind of uh, uh, somebody pretending to be cool or is it actually a good idea? No, that's a good idea that GitHub and the like provide good frameworks for comments, especially for the intended audience, that they want experts, not necessarily lobbyists. And this is a good way to get the experts involved. Okay. All right. Uh, and, and this week in uh, the demise of the hippie internet, uh, um, if, if you, which is sort of overdetermined at this point, uh, uh, but Nick, uh, Apple has changed the maps for its Russian customers so that Crimea is shown as Russian territory, uh, which, you know, most international bodies would not agree with. Uh, um, uh, any surprises there? This is, this is Russian law. It's a requirement, right? Yeah, and it's disappointing, but it's the real consequence of Apple's business model is they want to sell stuff in repressive countries, and so they have to abide by the laws of the repressive countries in question. Well, duh, right? You know, how how foolish do you have to be in 2019 to think that the, the world is anything other than that? that that's... That's something the Europeans have taught us and the Chinese have taught us and the uh, uh, now the Russians have taught us and uh, Singapore uh, is in the process of teaching us that too. Didn't they just tell uh, Facebook that they had to put a correction, this is fake news more or less, on something that the Chinese, the Singapore government didn't agree with? Yeah, they've got a, a new law called the Protection from Online Falsehoods and Manipulation Act. It just got to be effective in October and this is one of the first – uses of it, the agencies can actually order uh, companies to remove information as well as to post corrections. In this case, they did a correction, which is really awkward. The, the phrasing is, Facebook is legally required to tell you that the Singapore government says that this post has false information. So that, uh, that's the most passive-aggressive uh, <laughs> fake news label you could possibly come up with, right? <laughs> now, we may think that that's sort of weird, but you know, it's the, really the new normal, even among Western democracies that aren't so authoritarian in their inclinations. Look at the European law like Nets DG in Germany or the French equivalent that's passed the French Assembly. The UK online harms uh, white paper. The, the, Auss the Aussies and the Kiwis Aussies have done the same. Kiwis, the EU terrorist regulation that's in trialogue now. They all allow governments to order tech companies to take down certain in, content. In, in fact, don't you, uh, you could make the argument that Singapore is the most civilized because it doesn't say, by the way, if you don't 
label stuff as fake news that we think is fake news, we will take 4% of your uh, global <laughs> revenue as a fine. You figure it out from there, which is sort of the European approach. Uh, uh, they actually said, no, we're, we're going to get act an actual determination that this particular thing is false and you need to label it as such. And because we've made the determination, you can blame it on us. And it's, it's always the intermediaries who do the work because the guy who actually did the post is in Australia. They couldn't reach him. Right. And so they said, intermediary, Facebook, you want to do business here? Here's the law. Okay. So uh, in alumni news and uh, uh, news of our panelists, it turns out that Paul Rosenzweig, who I hope we'll have back on the, uh, the show soon, is going to be unable to talk about uh, uh, Julian Assange uh, uh, or the Vault 7 leaker, the CIA guy who you know uh, clearly has uh, issues, um, a, who uh, leaked a lot of – is accused of leaking – a lot of very serious stuff to WikiLeaks. Uh, Paul Rosenzweig has now been identified as the expert witness on WikiLeaks uh, who will be testifying in his trial, or at least if the uh, uh, prosecutors have their way. So we should uh, look forward to hearing uh, Paul Rosenzweig. I would say, I have to say, this is bad news for the leaker uh, and Seriously. probably bad news for Julian Assange as well because uh, I doubt he's got a very charitable view of either of them. Uh, uh, and then uh, last, Brian, I'll ask you, uh, this must be one of the more expensive typos that Apple has ever uh, uh, committed. Uh, they paid $467,000 in fines to uh, OFAC because they, they misspelled the name of the uh, party who was being uh, sanctioned in their own internal processes <laughs> and ended up letting them... Uh, collect money off of an app. Yeah, I think it's even worse. I mean, this is one of the world's great technology companies screening uh, sanctions for sanctions violations. Uh, there's a common uh, suffix in Slovenia where this took place to designate certain companies, SOO. So it's like Inc. or uh, LLP yep. or something like that. So Apple's database identified the company with the SOO, but in capital letters. OFAC's database identified SOO with lowercase letters. Wasn't it DOO? Was it DOO? It is DOO. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's right. So DOO, capitals and apples, lowercase and OFAC's. Apple's sophisticated screening tool couldn't match those two. Uh, and for two years, this company was allowed to do business on uh, through Apple's App Store, uh, even though it was on the sanctions list. Oh, I, bl I blame millennials. They were, they were raised on Scooby-Doo and they just said, well, <laughs> that must be what they're talking about here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, very sad. Uh, uh, they self-reported, uh, but uh, uh, nonetheless uh, uh, paid a substantial fine because it was considered, I think appropriately so, recklessly uh, in disregard of what the, the rules were. Although the guy, he's got an app on, on the iPhone um, and it turns out that he was sanctioned as a drug kingpin. So you kind of wonder what kind of apps this guy is putting <laughs> on, the, on his phone. Thanks to Brian Egan. Thanks to Mark McCarthy. Thanks to Nick Weaver for joining me. This has been episode 290 of the Cyber Law Podcast brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Uh, uh, we're just about uh, going to – Steptoe is going to have a complimentary webinar on uh, December 10 talking about the uh, California uh, Consumer Privacy Act and the GDPR. 
are. Uh, so if you're interested, uh, go to uh, Steptoe's site and you'll see how to sign up for that. Uh, I want to, uh, we got two new uh, uh, reviews uh, uh, and I want to thank both of the folks who uh, who left us reviews. Uh, Florida Man 1001 says this podcast is an entertaining way to hear some of the behind the scenes issues for technology topics in the news. The regular panelists and guests are very experienced and knowledgeable and share their insights into how the law and regulatory policy are trying to keep up with technology, which that was pretty good. To, nobody complaining about my uh, retrograde uh, political views. Uh, and Art Wilson uh, says, I have I have worked in what is now called cybersecurity for most of my 40 years in the industry. And while the technology has always been interesting, the discussion around law and policy is fascinating. Stuart and team do a great job of putting current policy issues in context with a sound basis of understanding both the past and the present. Uh, uh, so thanks to Art Wilson. Uh, we would really appreciate it if you left our review as well, and I promise I will read it, uh, even the abusive ones, uh, as long as they're coherent. Uh, follow me on Twitter if you want to hear what we're thinking about putting on the show. Uh, I'm at Stuart Baker. Um, send us suggestions for speakers uh, uh, or uh, just your own private reviews, cyberlawpodcast at stepto.com. And please join us again uh, next week as we once again provide insights into the latest events in technology, security, privacy, and government. Thank you.